Welcome to the Expandable Mind podcast, where I speak to creators, entrepreneurs, and experts in their fields about concepts and topics that not only intrigue me, but adds a sense of purpose and value to everyday life. I am Vayan Naka, your host on the Expandable Mind podcast, and in this episode, I speak to Hassan Kuba. We will speak about networking, finding your unfair advantage, and entrepreneurship. If you haven't heard about Hassan, then here's a little bit of an overview. Hassan is co-author of the UK's Business Book of the Year Award for 2021, The Unfair Advantage. He's an experienced founder and startup strategist. Hassan is a specialist in marketing, technology startups, and fundraising. I would highly recommend if you haven't already purchased a copy of The Unfair Advantage, then head over to the Amazon link in the show notes and purchase yourself a copy as it personally has allowed me to grow as an individual and given me new insight into entrepreneurship. We will also make reference to this book during the Expand Mind podcast episode. Thanks, Hassan, for joining us today on the Expand Mind podcast. Really appreciate your time. Uh, Hassan, can you tell me your story from being a one-year-old, having a birthday party, which is already, should I say, jargon-based, already having that doctor um, preset by your family to being this person who has co-authored a book and live, lives the ultimate life, if I can say that. Vahin, um, first of all, thank you so much for having me, for inviting me on, for your kind words about the book, about me. You, you flatter me. I <laughs> know um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, so my story is that, uh, yeah, I mentioned the story in the book that my, my parents, and actually, apparently it was my grandfather, got me a uh, doctor cake when I was one years old to be like this boy shall grow up to be a doctor <laughs> which is hilarious um, they weren't that serious about it they never really pressured me um, at all but uh, and they would have loved for me to become a doctor and I was gonna become a doctor so I was born in Baghdad this is back home in Baghdad Iraq I was born there and um, I came to London when I was three years old to escape the wars and Saddam Hussein and we basically um Grew up in a quite a modest background, let's say. Um, we, we had that kind of government support, the free school meals, that kind of thing. But slowly we kind of did a little bit better. And I was good at school. I didn't enjoy school, but I was, without doing my homework, I was kind of good at exams and stuff. So I, yeah. and I liked science and maths, particularly science, actually. And so it felt like a natural fit for me to become a doctor, you know well-paid prestigious job why not saving people's lives is awesome so um that was the path i was going down um until i dropped out to my parents horror and shock um uh, and actually no they were really sweet about it but they were like what are you gonna do why and i was like i don't know i was feeling kind of depressed i was like 18 years old feeling kind of depressed because i didn't know what to do with my life i was just kind of binge watching shows and stuff i was just doing nothing um this is before the days of Netflix. I used to like like tor- torrent shows and all that and just watch them <laughs> on my laptop. Um, yeah, it was a pretty sad time in my life because I just had no direction and I had no motivation. And then I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to study economics. I'm going to learn about the world. I'm going to learn about um, how it works because I didn't want that life of doctors and patients and disease and health. So I thought, okay, let me do, let me learn about the world. I hadn't studied something like economics before. 
And economics is about the allocation of scarce resources. It's quite, it's quite an abstract way to define it, but it's quite interesting in that sense. And I chose a specific university called SOAS, the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. It's part of the University of London, so it's one of the, it's like a good university. And um, actually, I, I talk in my podcast in Ali Abdal about how I got in there. I got in there in a funny way, I think. I don't know if you remember that story. Yeah. Um, but I did economics, and then I still kind of didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And also, I was still kind of de- not very motivated. It didn't solve everything for me to change my degree. Um, I wasn't studying. I wasn't turning up for my lectures. Um, I kept getting these like warning emails from my university about my attendance. And I would literally feel too stressed and anxious to check my university email because they all had these yeah. warnings of like, if you don't come in, we're going to kick you out. <laughs> and it's not that I was, I was hardly going in, literally hardly. I was going in, but like very little. I was probably missing every, two lectures for every one I attend or something. And I wasn't doing the work and I was missing the tutorials and stuff. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do as a career. And the typical path, especially like being based in London, is like, maybe just generally, is finance. Like after economics, you go into finance or you go into banking or investment banking or something like that. Maybe management consulting. And well, actually, I, I didn't really consider management consulting. So it was more like, let me focus on the banking side. So the city of London, London is like a financial hub. There's a lot of good jobs here and highly paid. And I was quite ambitious. Mm. So I wanted something highly paid and, you know, a good job. But the thing is, these... Yeah graduates would come in on like careers day and they would talk about their jobs in investment banking like yeah we're in M&A which is mergers and acquisitions and sometimes we're at the office for 72 hours straight and they're kind of like bragging about it I'm like that sounds awful like (laughs) what kind of life is that okay you're getting paid a lot of money but you don't have the time to enjoy the money so what's the point Um, so I felt very demotivated and I didn't know okay what do I want to do with my life uh, but actually, I was struggling with university. So I was smart and I did well at school. But I didn't, but I kind of did like see, I was getting worse and worse every exam. Like, so we have the GCSEs in the, in the UK, we have GCSEs when you're 16. And then you have the A levels when you're 18 to get into university. And I did yeah. pretty good in my GCSEs, um, but not good for me. Like, I could have done much better. You know, I could have like really smashed it, but I kind of just did pretty good. Um, and then I, and then I did like quite good as well for A-levels, but, but even lower because I went to a sixth form college where, uh, and this was my problem for him. I'm not going into detail here because I know your audience is kind of at this stage in their lives, kind of thinking about university, what they're going to study, what career to take. So yeah. I'm going into a bit more depth. And also I enjoy telling this story because it was a very pivotal time in my life. And when I'm on these business podcasts, it's not very relevant to talk about it. So my main issue is that I didn't. If there was no one forcing me to, I didn't turn up or I didn't do the homework or do the work. So I would just do the bare minimum and just coast by. Um, So my sixth form college, it was more of a college. So this is 17, aged 16 to 18. It was, they were a little bit hands off, but not as hands off as university. And then when I went to university, there's even more hands off. And that's why I struggled because it's like, I had no accountability. So I wasn't turning up to my lectures. I wasn't really doing the... I would, every essay that we had due, every assignment, I would do it very last minute and I would be stressed out. And every time I would think, oh my God, if I just had time, I would have write, written such a better essay. But this is so rushed and so yeah. terrible. Um, and I would lose marks for handing it in late, literally. I would like literally get marks knocked off because it was like 24 hours late or 48 hours late. 
So I actually had to repeat a year because of this whole issue. I actually had to repeat a year. So I lost a year going down the path for medicine. And then I lost another year because I just wasn't doing my work. And then, um, and then I decided, you know what? I'm a student. I just need to study. So I decided I'm going to do, yeah. I think it was six hours of studying a day. And I'll just turn up to the university. I'll just turn up. To, I won't even attend the lectures. I'll just go to a, a library. And actually, I went to a different university's library, which is like close by, just so I don't run into any friends and get distracted. And I'll just go and I'll just work for six hours straight. Um, mm. And I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't consistent with that. I kind of went through a period where I was doing that. But that was enough for me to do well in the exams. And I got a 2-1, which is like almost the top. The only way you can get a higher grade than that is by doing further reading. And I'm not going to do any further reading. So I got the highest grade possible without doing further reading, which is like a good grade. There's nothing exceptional, a 2-1 here in the uk but it's like yes i got the 2-1 i got the degree i've got the qualification and i felt amazing so i was at that point in my life and i was like well what do i do next I had nothing lined up i had been saving up my student loan money so you get this maintenance loan from the british government to help you pay for your expenses i lived at home i didn't have much expenses and i wasn't a big spender so i saved it up and and honestly by the way Vahin, i used to have nightmares that i had my exams coming up and i wasn't prepared even after I finished university. So I was graduate. I had my graduating photo in my room, right? And I would literally have this nightmare that I'm taking, exams are coming up and I haven't studied. And I would wake up and I'd see the photo of me having graduated. And I'd be like, thank God, I've actually finished university. I'm not, I'm not, that wasn't real. So that's how big and a pivotal part of my life it was. And that's why after university, I kind of just took a break and just thought, I want to figure out what I want to do next. It was during that break, yeah. and because I saved up money, I was able to do this. And it was during that break, I came across this online course about how to start a business from scratch. And it actually sounded exciting. I had never considered entrepreneurship. I had never been entrepreneurial. I'd never done any business ventures. I hadn't really been thinking about making money. But this sounded good. And what sounded good about it isn't just that you'll build a big business and you'll be rich. Actually, it was about you'll build a business of freedom, fun, and adventure. And you'll be able to travel and you'll make a passive income and maybe work four hours a week. And it was kind of based on the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss. I was like, yeah, this yeah. is for me. It was for the first time in my life I was like, this is for me. But I was scared. I was nervous. I was like, maybe it's a scam. Maybe this course isn't possible. And, I, and it was $2,000. And this is, we're talking 10 years ago, literally 10 years ago now, 2012. Yeah. And I took it. And um, I took the plunge. And I started working on it and I was excited and he taught us all the right things on the course and it was pretty cool. But I didn't start because mm. I had too much fear. And he and he discussed this. He said, don't be worried, just get started. Don't overthink it. Don't be perfectionist. But I was. I was a perfectionist. I was overthinking it. I just couldn't stop myself. Um, so I was taking too long to launch my website. I was planning too much. I took no action. Uh, and I was doing all these things of like building good habits. I was trying to wake up in the morning. I was doing affirmations. I was looking at my vision board. And then um, what I did is I, well, I didn't do anything. What happened is my parents started putting pressure on me, like, you need to get a job now. Like, <laughs> you yeah. need to get a job. Where is this business you were talking about? <laughs> what have you done? You've done nothing. So get a job. And I was like, mm. yeah, fair enough. Like, like, I couldn't even argue with them because it was true. Um, so I got a job in the city of London, which I was avoiding, kind of the investment banking type type roles. But it wasn't like the top ones. I had this one job, which was like a um, an alternative investments broker. 
and then I had for two months and then I had this other job where I was like a sort of it was called like a business development executive but really it was like high-end telesales we were calling up investors and taking them no we weren't calling up investors that was the first job the second job I was calling up marketing directors of food and drinks companies and and selling them market data it was really interesting. I learned a lot from these jobs. And the reason I went for sales jobs is because I, I had been taught and I knew that the most important thing for a business is to learn how to sell. After two months of doing that job, I just handed in my notice and said, I'm leaving. <laughs> because why am I working so hard for a boss, but I wasn't working this hard when I was trying to start my business, trying to work for myself as a boss. And also, I, during this time, I found an accountability buddy and that made all the difference. We would go together to a Starbucks. We were overlooking Wembley Stadium, which is this famous like football stadium here in London. It's like the a lot of the Euros were played there. Actually, the European final, I think, was played there because football coming home and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Anyway, and uh, we would just push each other every day to reach out to clients and try to get clients and start our, get our business running. And it worked. And I got my first client and then I figured out my business offering and it was hard work and I wasn't working a four hour work week. It was working crazy hours. Um, it was really tough, but I kind of enjoyed working for myself. I was learning a lot and um, it was really stressful moments and difficult moments at times. But two years in, I really had reached a point where I was making passive income and I was traveling around Southeast Asia. It was awesome. Um, and it was during that time that I met Ash. Actually, I met him in London when I was back in London. And I was like thinking, what do I do next? Because I was getting lazy because I was making passive income. Uh, yeah. And then he would talk me about this tech startup world. And then I learned about angel investing. And then I became like his investment partner. And it was with him that we came up with the idea of how do we know who's going to succeed and who's going to fail in business. And we thought we'd write a book about it. And that book is The Unfair Advantage. And that's a long, the long version of the story of how I got here. And with a particular focus no. on the university days, because I really struggled with those times and I was really passionate about like figuring out what to do because I feel like careers departments really failed me and university sort of failed me in the sense of helping me figure out what I want to do with my life. So yeah, that's my story. Yeah, I, I really like the story. And I think the audience will be getting more insight into who Hassan Kuba is, especially uh, I, I don't think you wrote uh, about the university no. days and so forth. Uh, so I've done the, I, I also do the Cambridge syllabus. I'm an A-level student okay. right now. So I can kind of relate um, to being with the science part. I'm, I'm a science dude. So like, okay, I really like the science. Um, I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm a nerd. Uh, if you can put it out there, I'll put it out there. Um, there's no, sh I'm not going to be ashamed of it. So I am a nerd. Um, but when I, when I hear you talking and a lot of the times, uh, you speak about, okay, I've met these people here. I, I've met Ash and so forth. And I, I think that's the term that we call networking. Uh, what what does that term mean to you? Because I think a lot of people around the world think that networking is that only it's only about in the business world. It's only about working in that corporate structure that we can network. And I, I think you defining, defining it will allow the audience to like, uh, break that myth hmm okay what is networking i think networking is making friends <laughs> that's it it's getting to know people like you don't need to be tight friends let's say but like so let me give you the examples me and ash it was a friendship at first um 
for example, he hadn't been to Southeast Asia and I told him, hey, come down to Malaysia. He had a startup in Dubai at the time. So he came and met me in Kuala Lumpur. And that was fun. And we had some nice food together and just like hung out. And we met startup founders actually in Kuala Lumpur. And that was pretty awesome. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was, it was, that's how it started. We just started being friends. Um, my accountability buddy, what we had in common is we had taken the same course and we lived close to each other. And actually he went to the school that was near my house. And it's about finding commonalities. So a lot of it is about rapport. It's about finding commonalities and just being genuinely interested in the other person and asking questions and and connecting with them and being a good listener mm. that's what it is I, I think i have more about it in the book about like really it's about your network is about who you know and it's about how well you know them and who you know meaning who who do you know and who also knows you that's what i mean it means like um a contact it's like somebody who would me who would reply to you if you sent them a message they'd reply because yeah. you can't you, you know them you don't you might not know them very well but you know them well enough that you can go back and forth in a discussion they'll meet you for a coffee that is a contact uh that's how i would define that um but then it's also that's, that's the that's how many that's the number but then there's also how deeply you know people and the depth of your relationship and so it's very important to think about breadth and depth and the depth is about how how much time you spend with each other um like they could be just fun times they could be just adding value so i think one way to a great way to network is to publish stuff put stuff out there like for you on this podcast this is a way for you to network you get to meet people right yeah so this is so publishing stuff putting stuff out there is also a fantastic way of networking being a creator um, tweeting or being a youtuber or having a podcast or um, being on tiktok that is a what people who are drawn to what you're talking about and the content you're creating will start to reach out to you and it's yeah. pretty cool or you start to build an audience let's say and that's kind of like a community and that becomes your contacts in a yeah. funny way so yeah networking i think that's that's a good way to discuss networking really on on the learning curve side and putting onto your mental toolbox, I think you've discussed in the book that when you're networking or meeting anybody in person or having a co-founder or something, uh, anything like that, it's about a person that has complements your personality. So I may not be the technical guy, yeah. and I may be. And you you wrote a really nice story. I don't want to break the story to the audience, but purchase the book if you'd like to hear that story. Um, it's not for me to tell. Uh, so you you talk about that and and this by by hearing your conversation and what networking means to you i think the mm. audience can say that find the person that complements your personality yep. and you probably can just build that relationship even further just like yourself and ash so Absolutely. yeah and and i think then we move on to like talking about the miles framework uh, and how did you and ash develop that where did that come from it's such a smart acronym that I, recently i've just been applying it like do I, I've been auditing my life in every single way. Like I write it down. So uh, the Mars framework actually uh, credit to Ash, my co-author who came up with that one. Um, it was a way to kind of put them into categories. Um, why did I developed it further? So, so money is like the most typical one because it's like, yeah, I don't have the money to get started. And that's classic. And yeah, there is some merit to the idea that you do need some money. 
Um, not always. They're always around it. They're always being resourceful. And we do get into that in the book. And they're always we're having little money is an advantage as well. Second is intelligence. Um, at that stage, there wasn't the insight added on. And then you have location and luck, right place, right time, which is great. Um, maybe it was me that kind of, I can't remember now, but it might have been me kind of giving it the right place, right time kind of vibe. Mm. Might not be, I can't remember that part. But expertise was there. And then I, no, sorry, education was there. And I added expertise because I wanted to say, well, it's, you know, there's different types of education and you can learn by doing and get expertise by taking like a course or just by doing it or just by practicing it yourself. And most people think about like a formal education. And then status was there as well and I expanded it into different sections. Same with intelligence. So I kind of developed it more. I put the mindset as a foundation and that's something that wasn't there before. Because I was like, you know, what about people who are going to say, you know, my unfair advantage is my mindset it's my heart the fact that i work so hard it's the fact that i have a good work ethic or the fact that i um i'm very curious or something something like that and it's like well that's mindset factors and mindset factors are not really you can kind of put them as not unfair advantages you could argue that they're unfair as well in some sense philosophically like you might have more predisposition towards certain mindset than other people and that's part of your personality type but really, anybody could change their mindset. That's what I believe in. That's what I believe in strongly. Um, and therefore, it's not, you know, you could kind of snap your fingers and change your mindset pretty much. Like a good a good book or even a good lecture, a good, you know, speaking to somebody can really shift. You could, A mindset can shift sort of like that. It doesn't always, but it can do. Um, whereas those other factors, you can't. You can't just suddenly overnight have money. You can't suddenly overnight be intelligent or be in the right place at the right time or, you know, have the education that you need or have the high status that you need it's not that simple mm-hmm. um, and i think I, in, I introduced the network as being part of your status so mm-hmm. those are the things that yeah we just brainstormed it and figured it out and we just thought okay the best way we did it is sort of stress testing it and thinking you know put trying to poke holes in it and that's how we developed it as a concept you just spoke about mindset something that is important to mental health um as we are in mental health niche podcast mm. and do you think that the ultimate driving factor to do anything is your mindset having that growth mindset instead of that fixed mindset um how, and how does one actually adopt a growth mindset where does that start where does it stem from mm. it's a big question Obviously, you're referring to Carol Dweck's book, which we refer to in our book, um, called Mindset. And in her book, she talks about the two different types of mindsets, the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. And the fixed mindset believes if you can't do anything, then that's it. You just can't do it. Some people can just do it. Some people can't. And it's like an extreme belief in predetermined sort of talent or inborn talent. Um, And a growth mindset a good way, and this is how we describe it in the book, a good way to break it down is just to say, add the word yet. So you say, I'm not good at coding yet. I'm not a good speaker yet. I'm not good at basketball yet. If you just add the word yet, it stops being um, a fixed kind of statement where you're kind of um, like going to stay static and not improve. So... By adding that, you can say there's room for growth. I can learn that. And that mindset to think I can learn something is absolutely essential rather than saying, oh, I'm just not good at it. thing is, there is some truth in talent. And we get into that in the book. You are better at some, some people are better at some things naturally than others. It just is the case. Um, One of my friends, he's really just good at sport. 
and his his technique yes. is atrocious, like tennis or table tennis or something like, or sw- even swimming. His technique is completely wrong, but he can be, play really good, <laughs> and it's because he's just naturally sporty. And for me, I'll take like right now. I'm taking tennis lessons. I'm just not naturally very sporty, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I can't become a good at tennis or good at yeah. sport. It might I might require more hours. <laughs> I might require more effort, and that's okay, and that's fine. And if that's something I want to do, then I can do it. Yeah. But maybe, but it takes a while. It takes a long time, especially if you're young. You don't know. I didn't know what I was good at. <laughs> like, I oh, I'll give you the example. I, I had too much of a fixed mindset that I'm not good at football. Like, just from primary school, I just thought, oh, I'm just not good at this. And it's probably, well, now that I know Malcolm Gladwell's, I talk about this effect of, like, the relative age effect. Um, I'm born in June, sort of towards the end of the academic year. The cutoff point is September. So I'm sort of one of the youngest in the class. And also, I'm just generally a slower developer. Like, yeah, you know, just people people got the growth spurt way before me and stuff. Mm. Um, so I think, like, that might have played a role. There's also some personality side, but that might have played a role in me thinking, yeah. I'm just not a fast runner. I'm just not very good at football. But what I did wrong when I was a kid is to think, well, I'm not, I'm just going to avoid it then because I'm never going to get good at it because I'm just not good at it. And that's it. It just doesn't feel good. I avoid it. And what you want to do, and obviously that was a kid, right? But And that's okay. What you did as a kid, you got no control over that. What you got control over is now is to think to yourself, to question your belief. I'm not good at that. Okay. Are you sure? Have you tried it? How much have you tried it? And even if you're not good at it, is it one of those things that's worth trying to get good at? Um, And I would say to find the things that you're good at, to find the things that you're talented at and that you enjoy. By the way, a lot of what you're good at is about what you enjoy. It's not always exactly, but generally speaking, like we talk in the book about like a lot of talent and being wired to do something is simply being wired to enjoy it. So you try and look for the things that you kind of enjoy doing. It doesn't mean that your life is going to have no problems and you're never going to not enjoy it or whatever your job is. You're never going to have a bad day or you're never going to find parts of it boring. Yeah, you will. But overall, if you overall have fun with it, if you overall be fulfilled by it, that is going to make your life so much easier. You're going to be so much more productive. My friend Ali Abdal, who's I'm his business coach as well, he was my first coaching client actually. Um, he That's his main thing that he talks about. He's like, make it fun. That's how you become more productive. So what I would really recommend for is to try things out. Just do lots of things. I didn't do enough of that when I was young. Try lots of different jobs. Do internships. Do work experience gigs. Just don't worry about, oh, no, but I want to stick on this career path. Oh, no, I might lose a a few months or lose a year. Oh, no, there's going to be a gap in my CV or resume. Like, I'm so worried about that. Who cares? Just try things out. That's not going to matter very much. Try things out. Learn what you enjoy. Learn what you're good at. Don't give up as soon as it gets difficult because everything's going to be difficult to an extent. But, but stick it out a little bit and see how it feels. See if you're... Try and find the things that you're... Um, that you don't even think is anything special. Like when you're good at something, you don't think it's... Any, you think everybody could do that or was good at that. Only it takes time to figure out, actually, people struggle with this and I'm doing it relatively effortlessly compared to them. It's not completely effortlessly. But it's I just do better without trying as hard as them. And it might take a while for you to find what that is for you. And that's okay. But you have to try things out. Um, so it's really, really important to do that. While you're young, try things out to find where your unfair advantage of like talent is, you know? Yeah, and, and I think 
from from hearing you speak about uh, mindset, growth mindset, and, and that it just proves to us, and this is like a, just my general from in what I've heard, is that nobody's perfect. Um, everybody is being your own person is more important than trying to be somebody else. Uh, so because some in the stereotype, and I know this because I also come from an Indian home. Um, and the stereotype that you'll get from your grandmother is that you either will be a doctor, lawyer, or accountant. And, and, and the truth is, I'm, I'm lucky to have parents that say, do what you love um, and grow from there. You, you experiment. And that's the most important thing from what I've heard there. Growth mindset is all about experimenting rather than um, saying, oh, I'm, I'm so stuck on this track that it's going to fulfill somebody else's happiness and not even mine. So um, as in, I, I love what you said there. Um, to the students and, and the audience that are listening out there, experiment, have a growth mindset. Don't ever have this mindset where a career in uh, being a doctor is uh, because your grandmother wants it. You have to do it. You don't have a choice. Um, but that that is our two cents from our sides. And I'd recommend it. I have flexible parents. Some don't. And I just hope that parents that maybe listen to this uh, start start giving your child a way to experiment uh, because that's the best way that they can grow. And I think from growth mindset, you've, having a why is the most important thing. And you speak about this throughout the whole book. It's not, a, not just one chapter that you can say, but... From having your mindset correct, you can audit your audit through the miles framework, and then you'll be able to say, okay, this is what I'm actually passionate about. But finding a why isn't it a one-day thing. It's not today I'm going to wake up. And I think that many people say that finding their why is not. Uh, it's it's like oh I found my why today. I want to be a doctor today because this is everybody. This is what everybody's encouraging me, and. I'd like to know that when you ultimately, uh, what is your, what is your mind, that growth mindset? And when you said after two months, I'm done, I'm done working for this corporate structure. I'm out of this rat race. I'm so sick of it. Um, how did you, what is the mindset? Like, where did you get that confidence and that confidence boots to say, let me create that web design business and who, who cares about the rest? Um, where did you find your why? Where did that passion come from? Hmm. Where did I find my why? Um, I have this kind of rebellious streak in me a little bit. So I was a good kid. Like I wasn't like the naughty kid of the class or something, but I did have a bit of a disdain for authority. And I see this, um, it, it can be, it can be relatively common in sort of like the quote unquote, like the academically smarter kids sometimes because you can even see sometimes you can even see when the teacher's wrong and you're like ah, why are they telling me what to do when there's something or i'm not sure i guess that's my theory or maybe it's just a personality thing that i had a bit of a disdain for authority and i think i just didn't like the idea of being told what to do i still remember like um because i was working in sales for a while like we would just be hammering the phones and working hard and the manager would be sat right there, just kind of leaning back on his chair. And we're all using our standing desks and standing. And he'd just be leaning there, looking at pie charts. And I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? He's looking at pie charts. And I, I, he was probably looking at how 
how well different salespeople are doing. I mean, he's managing salespeople, right? <laughs> but, and apparently he's he's paid his dues. Apparently he was a really good salesperson. But like now he doesn't do it anymore. And I just felt like, ugh, can I just skip skip to the to, to, to doing the management side <laughs> or something myself? Um, and I just remember feeling that way and just feeling like, and I had nice managers, by the way, like I didn't have any horrible boss, but I just, just felt a bit like, ugh, I don't know. I'd prefer to do my own thing. I prefer to build something. I prefer to live a life of my own design. And I think I was influenced by a lot of reading. A lot of the time it was like blogs and stuff. If, if I had been a teenager now, it'd be probably YouTubers <laughs> who talk about it. But I'd read a lot of online blogs and books and stuff. That kind of gave me that mindset. Mm. I, I think when you when you talk about YouTube and vlogs and that type of thing, I think that my biggest inspiration came from Ali Abdal. And I was like, uh, and and you're so fortunate to have like put contact with him all the time, and I was like, yeah, then, then now that's really awesome, and to have you speak to you, somebody that knows him is hundred uh, percent. It's like yeah. at the top of my list. But as we as we move on, and you found your why through experimenting, uh, watching YouTube. So parents out there, students out there, watching YouTube is a good thing. Uh, it's not going to be a lie. Uh, but well, it depends what they're watching. <laughs> yes, depends on what you're watching. So go go watch some productivity videos, um, and it, it 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 would be great. But in in the podcast episode with Ali, and I'll leave it in the show notes and the video description. You can go check that out also as well. But you mentioned that you Ali's, and right now you you said that Ali was your first um, coachee, uh, the business coachee, uh, and where did that coaching or mentorship uh, vibe come from? Where did you, where did that stem from? Like, uh... mm. I think I've always had this kind of like, cause I'd read a lot of self-development books mm. younger. So I'd always like almost not that much, not, not to a crazy level, but with my friends, so not to like everyone, like in the playground or something, <laughs> but like with my friends, I would often talk to them about the stuff I was reading and I would kind of, try and get them to join me on the journey of improving ourselves and stuff. So I think I've always had that in me a little bit to be a bit like, mm. come on, let's do this together. Let's, let's, let's improve ourselves. And it would never work by the way. Like, they, or no, it would work for a while, but then like they won't be as motivated as I am to keep learning or keep doing it. So it'll work for a while when they work with me. And then if they spend less time with me, they kind of like drop off from it. Um, so I think it was like a personality thing a little bit. And particularly teaching, I like explaining stuff. I love explaining stuff in a way that people understand. So I think I've had that just as a personality thing almost. Um, and communication in general as being an unfair advantage, which I didn't realize I had before. Actually, English used to be my worst subject, you know. And I wasn't like doing debates or doing speaking when I was young. I was quite shy. I was a very shy kid. Um, but yeah, I think it comes from that, like that wanting to teach. And then learning about coaching. So I thought consultant would be a cool title. And then learning about coaching and getting more in-depth with it and learning about how the value of asking the right questions. Yeah. That was when it shifted for me. And I took a coaching course. I, t I invest in online courses. Mm -hmm. I invest in myself. And I teach online courses now. Excuse me. So And that's how I learned about coaching. And that's how I became Ali's coach. <laughs> that's really amazing. Um and I like the fact that that you're so honest in saying that you weren't good at English, but 
the entire book, the English that's used in there, I can say that doing an A-level analysis and being fortunate enough to say that I actually love English um, and growing on, on it as like books on my, like my, should I say my, my fantasy land um, and reading your book and the language that you used in there. I picked up a few new terms like metonyms, like what is the metonym? And it's like the yeah. reference to a whole industry. I'm like, wow, now I can use that in my paper. Yeah. And it would be like, even the marker probably like, what is a metonym? I'll be like, read that book. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think many, many people out there, um, you, you, and um, you described it as an entrepreneur. That's you are a natural entrepreneur and you described yourself as that. And I think to understand what a natural and unnatural entrepreneur is, again, please read the book. Um, it's not, I, I do not want to give the key details out, but we have reached the final finale, unfortunately, but I wanted to keep this for lost as it will create this lasting impact on the audience. Uh, but I, as an individual struggle from perfectionism, you struggle from perfectionism. Um, and I think that that is essentially what a lot of people struggle from. That imposter syndrome, oh, I'm not, not, not good enough to do this. Um, I'm not good enough to be a YouTuber. I don't have this gear. Uh, I don't have this editing skills. And we spoke a little about growth mindset and how we can actually relate. Okay, I do not know how to video edit yet. And that's an important thing. Uh, but what sort of tools could one add to their mental toolbox? And I've, I coined that word into the podcast because it comes from the book, directly from the book, um, to overcome this sort of intimidation. What kind of tool should someone have in their mental toolbox to overcome the intimidation of perfectionism? I was recording a podcast. We actually have a podcast called the Unfair Advantage Podcast. It's in it's in like stealth mode right now. Very pe few people know about it, but we're going to be launching it on YouTube soon. Yeah. If you're listening to this, probably already on YouTube. Check it out, or just search for the Unfair Advantage Podcast. Search my name, Hassan Kuba. Maybe you can even have a link to it by in on the, in your show notes. Um, and we were talking about just showing up. So I tweeted recently that you need to focus on just showing up. And that's a, in a metaphorical way and sometimes a literal way. So what do we, does that mean? Let's say if you want to start a gym habit, somebody like me, and if you really suffer from perfectionism, it could be someone like you as well, which is to say, I need to have the perfect um, program. I need to know exactly what I'm going to do. It needs to be yeah. the most optimized workout routine. I need mm. to know how, how much weight yes. I'm going to do, how many reps, how many sets. I need to understand everything to get it just right. And... <laughs> Um, actually, you just need to show up to the gym. You just need to show up. And this is, it's all about, and this is, and I reference Atomic Habits in the book. Yeah. It's one of my favorite books, actually. It came out just as I was writing The Unfair Advantage or maybe even just as I was finishing it, actually. Um, and I thought, oh, yeah, he really nailed it because I was already really interested in the habit stuff. So James Clear wrote The uh, yes. Atomic Habits. And he talks about how you first you need to establish a habit before you can improve it. And so if you want to build a habit of going to the, of working out, then you should make, show up at the yeah. gym or show up by doing one rep of a pull-up or one rep of a press-up. Like if you're just going to work out from home, which I do as well, I do both. Um, and that applies to every area in life. So if you want to be a podcaster, your perfectionism is get the better of you. Just show up, meaning just record and publish. Don't worry about it. Just do it. And yes, you're going to feel, yeah. oh, oh my God, people are going to judge me. It's embarrassing. 
actually, you don't need to tell anyone about it yet. Yeah, you could just do it. You could just do it and you could just be out there and probably you're going to get like one person yeah. who listens to it or zero. It doesn't matter. But then you'll think, oh, but why am I doing this for? I want to build an audience or why I want to help people. Well, no one's... It doesn't matter. Just get the reps in. Like, that's just an example. Or you want to... Same with YouTube. The same with Twitter. The same with whatever. Mm. Just do it. TikToks. Right now, I'm doing a TikTok every day. And it's awkward. And I feel like, oh my God, like, this is not me. And I'm, I'm too old for this or whatever. Okay. Just do it. And I haven't done mine today. I'm going to do mine. You just need to show up. So that's my advice for perfectionism. Lower the bar, meaning your quality bar. Focus on quantity before you focus on quality. Establish the habit first. Just show up. Yeah, I, and I like that. Um, I, I, I'm also a gym, uh, gym like, should I say, a gym fanatic. I, I believe that going to the gym, I unfortunately can't train at home. I have this thing, I'm like, okay, I'm going to train at home today. And by the time I get outside, I'm like, nope, it's not my forte. So I, I believe like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym. It's not too far, but I'll, I have to go to the gym. And then yeah. I already have that mindset in. And Atomic Habits, brilliant book. So yeah, I can it's understand great. It's great. I mean, I could talk about it all day. Unfortunately, um, I, I do have to rush off. Thank you so much, Hassan. Really appreciate your time. Uh, and yeah, hopefully we can get you. Oh, I, I wanted to mention also, yeah. because people are listening to this as a podcast or watching it on YouTube, is there going to be a video version of this, yes, by the way? Yes. By awesome. Good. I believe in video as well. Um, you might be interested in the audiobook instead. So I like audiobooks. So there's an audiobook version. Uh, my voice is on there. Ash's voice is on there. My co-author. It's really cool. Um, so yeah, check it out on audiobook if you're not a reading type. Uh, yeah. And just one one last question from the audience, not from myself, but this is from Twitter. I've always felt like networking and knowing the right people has strongly been linked to privilege. And you've mentioned this in the book, but what advice does Hassan have for people who don't have the foot in the door, like the bulk of our unemployed youth? Yeah, you need to hustle your foot in the door. <laughs> you need to... You need to just like get started. You need to reach out to people. You need to publish. So we actually, I'll refer you back to the beginning discussion that we had. Publish stuff. Attract people towards you. Reach out to people. Um, there's a section in the book called about networking and there's a section about how to get a mentor. Those are the two sections that are very relevant. They're written specifically by me and hopefully that will help to with that issue. Yeah, and that comes to the end of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you, Hassan, for coming you, on. Man. And... Thank you for making the time. Um, and yeah, if please do go grab yourself a copy, a copy of the, the Unfair Advantage, recommended by myself, highly recommended actually. And check out the links in the show notes on Hassan's uh, podcast, The Unfair Advantage. Um, the, if you want to purchase the book, there's an Amazon link in, in the show notes or the video description. And the, the remaining whatever yeah. links Instagram, TikTok, I'm active on all of the Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Yeah, check me out and YouTube as yep. well. So, Vahin, yep. thanks for having me on. Thanks so much. To our listeners out there, thank you for listening. Links that were mentioned during the episode are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, and leave a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at expandable underscore mind. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.